This is a People First Radio podcast. Legislation that sought to ban public drug use in a number of spaces in British Columbia is currently in limbo following a decision from B.C. Supreme Court Chief Justice Christopher Hinkson. The Restricting Public Consumption of Illegal Substances Act was passed in the legislature late last year, and if not for the court decision in December, it would have become law on January 1st. That decision came because the Harm Reduction Nurses Association sought an injunction against the act, arguing that it would violate the charter rights of people who use drugs. In his decision, Hinkson wrote that he was satisfied that irreparable harm would be caused if the act came into force and granted an injunction until the end of March. I spoke about this case with Nicole Luongo of the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition, whose executive director was one of the lawyers representing the Harm Reduction Nurses Association. My name is Nicole Luongo, she, her. I am the Systems Change Coordinator with the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition. Recently, there was this case, the Harm Reduction Nurses Association, and a case before the BC Supreme Court that hinged on legislation the province had created that sought to restrict places people could consume opioids, cocaine, methamphetamine, and MDMA. What kind of context do you think the public should have as we discuss this case and and the wider issues it represents today? Yeah, I would say that the first thing to acknowledge is that this law, uh, Bill 34, is really less about drug use than it is kind of regulating poor people's access to public space. We know that people from all ends of the socioeconomic spectrum use drugs, but it is predominantly poor and homeless people whose drug use is visible uh, visible, and whose drug use is criminalized. And this law is really designed to just reduce visible, i.e. poor people's drug use. And can we, maybe to, to clarify for folks exactly what the law included, the proposed legislation would have prevented people from consuming substances in a number of locations, including at parks, beaches, sports fields, within six meters from building entrances, um, be they residential buildings or businesses and within six meters of a bus stop. What do you think the impact of the legislation would have been had it come into force? So as you alluded to, the legislation is exceptionally broad and exceptionally vague. It effectively would have prohibited drug use um, in virtually every space that wasn't kind of an alley or somewhere very, very isolated, which we know is kind of where people are dying. The charter challenge, or the uh, injunction, I should say, was not aimed at allowing public drug use everywhere. It was not aimed at allowing people to use drugs in these kind of family-oriented spaces. It was simply addressed at the fact that Bill 34 was so overbroad and vague that it really would have prohibited drug use anywhere that was visible. Now, before the province introduced this act, there were a number of municipalities that were looking at creating bylaws addressing public drug use uh, The justice mentioned that there was some form of public benefit in the act, albeit one that he ruled was outweighed by the balance of harms. Do you think there's a way the the province could address some of those concerns that municipalities were looking at, um, that the province was hoping to address with the original legislation in a, a less perhaps harmful way? Yes, of course. So we know that safe consumption sites and overdose prevention sites 
uh, are spaces where people go uh, to use drugs kind of in a in a private space where there is medical help available if needed. And so what communities can do is actually open and operate these spaces. Uh, there are far fewer in the province than I think most people realize, and those that do exist are often not appropriate, uh, in particular because many people smoke or inhale their drugs and very few actually allow inhalation. So something that could be done in every community to uh, reduce public drug use would be to open and operate safe consumption sites. And then above and beyond that, the reason why kind of isolated drug use is so dangerous is because of the unregulated nature of the drug supply. So unlike with something like alcohol or cannabis, which is legal and regulated, someone might consume something they acquired from the street and quite literally drop dead. And so to prevent that and to make it much safer to introduce regulations around public use that more closely align with alcohol and cannabis, we need to be looking at regulating the drug supply. So you alluded to there some of the messaging from the province when this act was introduced was to bring regulation or this would bring rules for substances like opioids more in line with rules for alcohol and smoking. What would what would the response to that messaging be? We simply can't regulate their use the same way because the risk associated with the substances is so vastly different. And again, that doesn't speak to the inherent nature of the substance itself, just that some are classified as legal and some are illegal. And because the illegal supply is so toxic and volatile, we just can't compare them as apples to apples. It really is apples to oranges. And again, on the messaging and going back to something you, you just mentioned earlier, um, there there were some comments along the lines of this legislation would maybe allow people to be connected with services or, or connected with places that they could consume the substances in a, a safer way. Is it a matter of that in a lot of communities, those facilities that you were describing, safe consumption sites, just just don't exist or have the capacity uh, at present? Absolutely, yeah. It's, it's quite a fiction, actually, to suggest that enforcement are going to direct people to health services, A, because as you stated, the health services simply don't exist, and B, in communities where they might exist, it's unlikely that someone is going to actually be incited to access them by virtue of enforcement. There's quite a bit of research on policing narratives that come from police where they admit they are not equipped as healthcare professionals. That is not their role. And so to suggest that kind of criminalization or punishing folks um, will somehow get them into accessing health services uh, is not supported by any evidence. And what were the the potential punishments included uh, or or permitted by this legislation? Uh, Everything ranging from seizure of drugs to fines uh, to, you know, someone uh, refused an order more than once, um, potentially a kind of short-term uh, incarceration. And so following this this decision from the BC Supreme Court, there's an injunction preventing this legislation from coming into effect. Uh, that, that injunction is in place until the end of March. So what happens then? Good question. Um, so this is one of kind of two pieces of litigation ongoing, and there will be a constitutional hearing in the spring. 
um, that will have kind of potentially a longer term impact on what happens with this bill. And of course, BC is in the midst of a, a pilot project around decriminalization that started last January and is intended to continue through 2026. Broadly, what would you make of the first year of of that decriminalization pilot? I would say that it's been, I, w- I won't use the word disappointing because those of us who are familiar with this space and work in this field kind of recognized very early on and before the pilot started uh, its many shortcomings. I will say that one positive benefit it has had is that it has reduced kind of interactions with police. However, unfortunately, the province itself was quite contradictory in its messaging and I think kind of set the public up to be disappointed because the province was framing decriminalization as a solution or response to the unregulated drug crisis and specifically the overdose death rate, whereas decrim was never actually meant to address overdose death. Decriminalization as a policy model is supposed to reduce engagement with the criminal justice system. So in that sense, it has been moderately successful, but it could have been and it will be much more successful if we actually do things like raise the thresholds for possession, which right now is still very low and has not actually decriminalized that many people. What would your hope be to to see on this issue, uh, this injunction decriminalization, the pilot project in the coming, say, six months to a year? I mean, this is probably naively optimistic um, because there is no evidence to uh, support the idea this will happen. But it would be really nice if the province actually kind of lived up to its own messaging. It claims that it's doing everything it can to separate people from the toxic, unregulated drug supply. We know that's a fiction. Very few people have access to safer supply through a prescription. Um, So what I would love to see happen is kind of the chief coroner's recommendations implemented around introducing non-medical compassion club type models for people who use drugs. And that would ensure that people who are already using drugs have access to the drugs they consume in the doses that are appropriate for them. It would also reduce engagement with the criminal justice system and most importantly, save lives. That's really critical and it needs to happen urgently. Is there anything else you'd like to bring to the conversation today? Uh, One thing I always flag is just that often kind of the public narrative around drug use is that all people who use drugs are addicted to them and need addiction treatment. However, in reality, many, if not most people, use drugs episodically or recreationally the same way that most people who consume alcohol do not identify as alcoholics. So when we have these conversations, it's really crucial that we orient them away from people who are addicted and need addiction treatment to simply the fact that a safe and regulated drug supply is an issue of consumer protection. Nicole Luongo, thank you so much for taking some time to speak with me. No problem. Thank you. Nicole Luongo is the Systems Change Coordinator with the Canadian Drug Policy Coalition. People First Radio, People First Media, and People First Stories are community media projects of Vancouver Island Mental Health Society and are produced in Nanaimo, British Columbia. The opinions expressed do not necessarily represent the views of Vancouver Island Mental Health Society or its broadcast, podcast, and social media partners.